0: Enjoy!
1: Our guest in this hour is president of the Alliance for the for American Manufacturing. always put a V the in there, but there's not. Uh, retitling them, renaming them, the AAM. Now, they're a partnership established by some of America's leading manufacturers and the United Steelworkers Union. And for the past five years, our guests, Scott and Paul, Mr. Paul, and the AAM, have worked to make American manufacturing a top-of-mind issue for voters and our national leaders. And they've done this through effective advocacy, innovative research, and a savvy PR strategy. More than a pleasure to have back on the show, Scott and Paul. All happy Monday, Scott, and welcome back.
2: Great to be with you, Leslie.
1: Uh, the, we have talked before about trade. We have talked before about what is in the best interest of not just America, but the American worker, our infrastructure, and specifically manufacturing. And when we look at workers and we look at the position of the president in this administration with uh, regard to trade, you and I have constantly talked about the president falling short of the mark and his stance on trade being outright disappointing, and this has not yet changed. Uh, it
2: hasn't, Leslie. And I, you know, think about this from a man or a woman who's working in a factory. And there's 12 million of them in the United States today. There used to be 17 million um, uh, in in the year 2000, and so we've seen that number shrink dramatically. So, you know, a, a worker in a factory can put in an honest day's work, can work hard, can have all the training he or she needs, uh, and do a great job, but within a day, within a week, the company can decide to ship that job overseas, and we'll or to shut the factory down because there's competition from China or Japan or Mexico, or another uh, country that, that's under undercutting them. And, again, the manager at that fa- factory may, may, may be a very smart manager making good decisions. The workers may be highly productive. They may have the best machinery in the world. But even with all of that, if there's not what we call a level playing field, that is the opportunity to keep, compete fairly in the global marketplace, including here at home in the United States, uh, you can see a lot of hopes and dreams uh, disappear. And we're coming off of a decade where we lost not only thousands of factories, but tens of thousands of factories and trade deals that don't adequately protect workers and don't create a level playing field. Uh, are going to to jumpstart that process of outsourcing again, and President Obama uh, says he wants to bring manufacturing back to the United States. I believe him, uh, but I also think on trade that it's the wrong approach. And, and Leslie, the the last thing I'll say about this is that you, I, I know it's the wrong approach because I see who he's leading on to try to get this done: Mitch McConnell, John Boehner. Paul Ryan. I mean, these guys are not friends of the middle class. They're not friends of American factory workers. And so the idea that Mitch McConnell, John Boehner, Paul Ryan could come up with some sort of a trade deal that's going to really look out for the interests of average working men and women in the United States is really hard for me to believe. And it should be very hard for the president to accept and understand that as well.
1: well. Most definitely. What I don't understand, Scott, is for a president who's definitely wanted to set himself apart from his predecessor. With regard to trade, he's not doing things uh, that differently. And also, uh, you know, as a Democrat, one of the things that Democrats, I think, have talked about, whether it's, you know, as a pre- at a presidential level or a gubernatorial level or in the House or the Senate, you know, which is we want to reverse... The outsourcing of jobs, and we want to change that 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 ratio, that deficit that we have with regard to trade—not just goods and, and services, but certainly with jobs being shipped out. We want to insource those jobs. We want to turn things around, and it only would help the president and his party if he created more jobs, especially after having a a recession and the you know economic downturn uh, that he was president throughout. It,
2: it, that's right, and the, you know the Recovery Act and the rescue of the auto industry were two very bold decisions that were made in the early days of the administration. Uh, and you can quibble about the details, but they got our economy back on track, and they, they saved a big chunk of the manufacturing sector. Uh, but I, I don't know what it is, Leslie, when, when presidents get into the White House and think that it's a good idea to do these NAFTA-like trade agreements. And none of us want to put a wall. Around America. That's not what critics of of the TPP or the trade agenda are saying, but that it matters who is writing the rules. And unless we have rules that are fair to workers and that are fair to our domestic businesses uh, and help to create that level playing field, they're not going to work. And it's just baffling to me that, you know, I, I heard the president during a State of the Union address and I've heard him during the conversations about his budget and and at the different events that he's been at around the country over the last couple of months talking about middle-class economics the the blueprint for rebuilding uh... america's middle class and reducing inequality but the but the trade agenda that he's proposing and the the leaders that he is relying on in congress you know john Boehner, mitch mcconnell and paul ryan uh, they don't have the same interests, and so it is—it's—it's it, it's inconceivable to me um, that that they're going to end up with a product uh, that works well for middle-class manufacturing workers. In the United States, especially, Leslie, when you consider the results of more open trade with China, uh, the NAFTA agreement, uh, and what have you, it hasn't been really good news uh, at all for for, for factory workers in the United States.
1: Now, the president's not running for re-election, but certainly, as a Democrat, he doesn't want to see his position go to a Republican. And longtime supporters of the president, and this number keeps growing say that the president should take action against the currency cheating uh in the tpp why why do you think he doesn't uh, do this I, I mean does we don't have i mean i don't think it's going to damage the relationship that we we have with uh you know uh, asian pacific countries currently do, do you
2: uh, yeah i think that's a really good point and and let's just Take a step back and look at who has the leverage uh, in this relationship. Uh, The United States, even though we're only 5% of the world's population, uh, we have by far the richest consumer market in the world. That means everybody wants access to it, okay? So it's a very valuable thing when when things want access to your market. And, And so we have an enormous amount of leverage to help write the rules of trade. And we ought to insist on a fair deal. And, and simply giving away access to the U.S. market and not expecting much in return uh, is not going to be a winning thing. But I think the thing that bothers me the most, Leslie, is that we've seen an evolution in the president's thinking. When, when he was a senator, uh, back back before he was running for president, he actually wrote to President Bush and said, it's going to be impossible for me to support your trade agenda because you're not taking action on currency manipulation. And yet you fast forward to the to today, and he's questioning Democratic senators who aren't supporting his trade agenda uh, and who are saying, you're not doing enough on currency manipulation. And when just a few years ago, he was saying the exact same thing. Um, and he talked about this frequently during the 2008 campaign. He said that he wanted to go after trade cheats and hold them accountable. Uh, so, so yeah, I think that uh, I, I have a real problem with where things stand right now with the White House, and I I will say that I'm heartened by the amount of support that I see from uh, activists out there who are writing to Congress, who are writing to the White House, uh, and also by some of our staunch allies in Congress who are standing up uh, and saying, look, we have a disagreement among Democrats here. The president wants to do this, but we want to hold, hold firm. I'm talking about people like Senator Sherrod Brown, Senator Chuck Schumer, Senator Debbie Stabenow, uh, and many others uh, who are out there uh, leading on this issue.
1: This is uh, 11 Asian countries, correct? And we know that if just one of those 11 countries manipulates their currency, because we've seen it happen already, we've talked about some of those countries that are in that group of 11, that millions of American jobs are affected or lost. And I, I don't understand when you look at, the possibility of that domino effect, that landslide, if you will, of millions of jobs being, uh, you know, beyond sucked out, as people used to say, you know, for, for NAFTA uh, back in the day, that with this situation, if just one of those 11 countries is manipulating their currency, and we already have countries that are, what if all 11 do? And there's nothing to prevent that here.
2: You're right, Leslie, and, and we have seen this happen before. This happened during the, uh, again, during a history lesson here. Uh, Asian financial crisis, the late 1980s, when a lot of the the Asian economies went into the tank, they devalued their currencies, which meant meant it was possible for them to export very cheaply. And it almost bankrupted the the steel industry. If you talk to Leo Girard about this, you'll be lucky he doesn't swear about it. He's still so upset about it. But we had had 40 companies that went bankrupt uh, in the United States, steel companies, because of these currency devaluations all over Asia. And so we know what is going to happen if there's another downturn, which is why we need these rules in place to prevent that from happening. Uh, Otherwise, it's going to be a raw deal for American workers, and we're going to see even more jobs disappear uh, and, and, and yet more go overseas.
1: So the people that have maybe never heard you and I talk before, Or maybe you've listened to the show but not on this issue or heard us talk about other issues, although we do talk about this a lot because this is very, very important. And this can really turn around the gains that we're making uh, with regard to keeping jobs here, bringing jobs home, and especially in the field of manufacturing, which America once led the world at and and can and should. Uh, Again, what stops the president from doing this? To me, this is a no-brainer. This isn't even left and right. This is right and wrong. This could not only hurt his party, but his people. And I really do believe that the president cares about the people of the United States. So I I don't understand. This is a smart man. Why is he entering into such a bad and a one-sided deal that is not uh, favoring the United States side of the uh, agreement?
2: Well, it's a – the true answer is I don't know. I would love to ask him that question and get a really honest answer. But what I suspect is that you get in that bubble of the White House and you tend to surround yourself with a lot of economic advisors who have way more experience on Wall Street than they do on Main Street or in the neighborhoods. And what ends up happening is that that textbook idea of free trade sounds like a great thing, but the problem is that the folks who are writing the rules, both inside the U.S. government uh, and then those uh, the, the the kind of the lobbying community outside, uh, are are generally it's generally the outsourcers. It's it's the folks who who have an advantage from having a, a playing field that's not level because they don't think where. They don't care where things are made, whether they're in China or Japan or Mexico, as long as they're making money. And so I think that, you know, I wish I could go into the White House and rewind those tapes of the president uh, and, and print out the letters that he wrote back uh, in 2007 uh, and say, and say you're, you're, you're being wildly inconsistent with yourself here. Mr. President. And this is an initiative, Leslie, that, that by all indications they're pumping more energy and effort into trying to pass the TPP than they did on, on health care reform. And, and I know you know how important that was. And that
1: Absolutely.
2: Is. And, and it's just baffling to me that they would do this when it would be strike such a blow to the middle class in this
1: country. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back and we're going to talk more about this issue. And we definitely want to talk with you. Pick up the phone and join us. 888 6 Leslie, 888 653 7543. Tweet us. Follow me on Twitter at Leslie Marshall. But also follow our guest, Scott Paul. Follow him at Scott Paul AAM. Also follow Keep It Made in USA. And we're back. So is week, Scott. Paul, president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing. Scott, um, thank you for holding. Welcome back, buddy. Uh, we're going to take uh, some calls. And let's go to Charles in Santa Fe, New Mexico, Line 5. Charles, good afternoon. Question or comment for our guest, Scott Paul from the AAM.
3: I don't care for trade agreements. And I'm a journalist. It's been one a long time, 1970. And I saw Clinton do this one. And I wonder if there's a dungeon or something in the bottom of the White House. Because... This guy seems a little bit hmm, strange for his uh, for his ideology and to see more jobs uh, leave the country is it's just uh, it, it's, its pathetic and we're suffering enough fear and um, we need our jobs
4: we need to eat
3: <laughs> and uh, uh, this may uh, you know make the uh, Republicans go old because they like cheap work cheap health. And it can get it really in, in China or Mexico or any of the other countries that, you know, want to do this. But not uh, Not for, not for All right. thank All
1: right. All right, Charles. Thank you. Um, Scott, you know, you can hear that. We hear the uh, sentiments echo by those who are writing letters uh, to the White House, emailing, uh, tweeting, uh, calling, and, you know, uh, sometimes, you know, protesting or showing up at, you know, different rallies uh, for this particular cause. Um, but. Doesn't let's talk about very briefly the politics of the. Is this political, and and if so, are Republicans in alignment with the president on this?
2: Yeah, yeah, Leslie, it's it's a good question, and and so this is one of those issues where the president is going to almost in in entirety depend on Republicans for passing this through. There will be a handful of Democrats who support. The president on this but it's going to be a small number you know uh, more than twenty years ago a hundred democrats in the house of representatives voted to pass NAFTA the North American Free Trade Agreement along with Republicans and it gave Clinton a victory uh, and then you had a number say 44-45 who supported trade with China in the House of Representatives uh, for Bill Clinton in, in 2000. And, and I don't think the President, president Obama is going to get that kind of support for the Trans Pacific Partnership, but he is going to get some. But it makes it interesting because this is going to be a really close vote. And okay, it's Scott,
1: hold that thought. Hold that thought. Talk about that vote right after this we're back. on Leslie Marshall. He is Scott and Paul, president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing, the AAM. And uh, be sure to check out their website, AmericanManufacturing.org, and follow Scott on Twitter at ScottPaulAAM. Scott, thanks for holding. Um, welcome back. Uh, talk to folks about the, uh, oh, uh, let me just uh, tell you this quickly. Sorry, got to do a little uh, advertising here. And uh, my apologies, Mark, you did just tell me that. And I do want to tell all of you That 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Just go to geico.com to get that savings. Uh, But, Scott, we were talking before the break. You were talking to us about a vote so that folks who may not be familiar with this, um, you know, how, how does this all come about in our nation's capital with regard to the TPP?
2: Yeah, yeah. So, Leslie, the, the the idea of the Trans-Pacific Partnership trade deal has been around for more than five years. It's been under negotiation for nearly that long. It's still not done yet. By the way, I mean negotiators have not finished it. They want to they want to expedite a procedure called "quote unquote" fast track authority uh, first, which would be a, which would be a different vote in the Congress. And that is what the administration is focused on now. And it basically limits the ability of Congress to change any trade agreement. Um, And under the the Constitution, Congress actually has the authority to to regulate uh, interstate commerce. And it's through this fast-track authority that it kind of again, cedes that authority to the president. Um, And presidents, since Richard Nixon, have had this power off and on, but actually mostly off, and it hasn't really harmed our our trade relationships at all. We've continued to trade, uh, even without fast-track authority. And and right now, uh, the president doesn't have the votes uh, to get this passed. Uh, He's going to mostly depend on Republicans, try to cobble together a few Democrats. But I've been around for a lot of these trade battles, and what ends up happening at the end is, is what we call horse trading, um and, and, and back scratching and the substance gets lost. So I'm really glad that you are uh, giving some airtime time uh, and, and some valuable attention to the substantive issues like currency, job loss uh, that, that get really left on the sidelines here. Uh, and it's what members of Congress need to know is that there's going to be a, a negative impact uh, in every state uh, it, that will include manufacturing but also other sectors uh, if we pass a TPP uh, or the the authority to do it, called TPA, uh, without adequately considering uh, the rights of workers, issues issues like currency manipulation uh, and what have you. And, and, and believe me, Washington would like nothing more than for this to fly under the radar, uh, because not only Democratic voters, but Republicans and independents don't like the idea of unfair trade. They don't like the idea of NAFTA. They don't like the idea of our trade deficit with China. Uh, and I think that they would have a hard time swallowing a trade agreement like the uh, Trans-Pacific Partnership.
1: Let's take some more calls, and let's go next to David in San Francisco on Line 4. David, good afternoon. Thank you for joining us. Question or comment for Scott?
3: Yes, hi, uh, Leslie and Scott. um, It's probably some of both. um, I've studied organized crime for any number of years, and I'm just kind of wondering whether or not these trade agreements, whether it was NAFTA, GATT, uh, the African Trade Agreement, uh, now the the uh, uh, Pacific one, whether or not they're massive Ponzi schemes that are actually uh, kind of uh, caused by organized crime. Uh, In studying just many of the books about heroin trade from World War II, uh, it was very plain uh, that organized crime was basically blackmailing America. I think we had, we had uh, induced uh, organized crime to help in, in bringing down Italy in World War II, but then they came back and, and stabbed us in the back by, uh, by using the same manipulations to be able to smuggle heroin, and that kind of led to the French Connection. And, uh, and the uh, UK, during uh, during the 1960s, it was recognized that Jagger Hoover was allowing heroin to come into San Francisco and to, uh, to go into the Black Panthers. It was seen as a political trick, but that blackmail basically has caused many of the banks of the world uh, to be involved in the uh, in both the heroin and organized crime uh, money laundering. Uh, deal. So they've basically blackmailed uh, the security systems, uh, whether it's the CIA or the FBI or whatnot, into allowing this to happen. And so that's how these Ponzi schemes have gotten so big that, uh, that when the economies uh, collapse around the world, organized crime gets their first share, and the, the people of the world are, are left in the lurch. So I'm wondering whether or not you've studied this at all and whether or not you think that this is really a Ponzi scheme that, whether it's intended or whether it's uh, sort of uh, de facto simply happened because of these uh, blackmail uh, uh, twists with organized crime. Scott?
2: You know, David asked a good question, and I honestly don't know the answer with regard to the any documented engagement from organized crime or or or, uh, or, or criminal cartels uh, or anything like that, but I but I will I, I will say this that it, when you look at NAFTA, uh, the North American Free Trade Agreement, which united the economies of the united states mexico and canada one of the arguments for passing nafta was that it would in fact reduce crime reduce illegal migration to the united states and 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 reduce the drug trade the theory being that it would benefit workers in all countries it would lift all boats and there'd be less of a of incentive to cross our border or to engage in illicit activities like like drug drug crime and I think everybody knows that the opposite has been true, and and it's had a an, an effect in Mexico, like it has in the United States, to widen inequality uh, and, and to create really desperate situations for lots of people. And I would say just the organized above board activity that's going on with these trade agreements is disturbing enough. Where you know most of the advisory committees, that the, the official advisory committees that that Sit with administration officials on this or are dominated by outsourcers. Uh, and so the voice of real real people is rarely heard, and the folks who are sitting at the table writing the rules, uh, I, I'm sorry to say, uh, don't have the middle class best interests at heart. And, and these trade agreements are never judged based on, like, well, what happened to the trade deficit or what happened to jobs in this country? People like to talk about increasing exports, which may or may not have happened without the, the trade agreements anyway, but they don't look at the – at some of the results on the on the ground, uh, and we end up having the same debates over again uh, without making much progress.
3: You know, it's interesting you mentioned that. I was looking up some some unemployment stats uh, with the Department of Labor not too long ago, and they don't go back forty years. They only go back. Ten years. Some of them don't even go back as far as the Bush, the most recent Bush administration. So when you imagine that they're young economists coming out of college and they're trying to put together their master's theses and they can't find uh, some basic data that uh, that I've lived through, uh, I was also going to actually ask you if um, if you think that. Uh, There, there are a number of different books uh, that have dealt with what I described before, but the, uh, for example, uh, you remember David Stockman, the uh, brain for Ronald Reagan. There was a lawsuit against him uh, for his role in a company called Collins Aikens, and basically, uh, this was in the U.S. District Court in Southern um, New York, which would have been Manhattan, and this lawsuit. Uh, or it's actually a prosecution of of, uh, David Stockman. It claimed that David Stockman had cornered the market on all of the auto interiors in Detroit and then had outsourced all of the jobs. And when you think that Ford never used to deal with General Motors suppliers – American Motors never dealt with Ford suppliers. But for David Stockman to have actually cornered the market on all of the interiors for all of Detroit, he was then able to outsource all of the jobs to China and Mexico and whatnot. So it became very plain that something very odd had happened that allowed David Stockman to corner the market. And uh, so it, 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 whether or not it was organized crime or whether it's something even larger manipulative, uh, you know, more of a sabotage, uh, something strange has happened. So the I, I, final question was, uh, are you, if, if you're familiar with the term a new American tenor, uh, back in 1776 when George Washington was crossing the uh, Delaware to, uh, to, uh, to take that success on Christmas Eve, uh, the uh, continental dollar was not worth anything at that point, and he was starving because uh, nobody wanted to trade in U.S. dollars. So they came up with a new design, and they called it the New American Tenor. So I'm just wondering whether or not you've looked at uh, whether or not we're going to have to come up with another New American Tenor.
1: Um, okay, Scott. Yeah, definitely letting you answer that one,
2: <laughs> David. It's a it's a good question. Again, I I can't profess any uh, any knowledge that you don't already have on this, but I'll I'll say this about the car companies and also about our, our history very briefly, because because uh, uh, I, I know Leslie has a lot of a lot of callers and comments that that she wants to get to as well. Uh, 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 it, it, one, one interesting thing to me is that the domestic car companies are very concerned about the Trans-Pacific Partnership here, Ford, GM, Chrysler, precisely because Japan has been gaming the rules of international trade for so long to their disadvantage. Point number two is that kind of the foundation for trade policy, international economic policy for the United States was laid by Alexander Hamilton in 1791, uh, his report on manufacturers, which said we ought to have industrial policy that helps to give us uh, self-sufficiency for the military and other things, and that trade is good, but that we need to look out for our Industries, and I think that any president, Democratic and Republican, would be wise to review that, to look at it, uh, and, and to agree that it's it's been something that's made America great over the last couple of centuries.
1: Uh, let's take another call in Oregon, line five, with Roger. Roger, good afternoon. Question or comment for Scott? Yes, thank you
4: very much. Um, I just want to say uh, that I, no matter which side of the aisle, I mean, this you know, progressive or uh, conservative uh, talk uh, radio or television whatever that what infuriates me is that this one aspect never is mentioned and discussed uh, the fact that president obama insists that this entire trade deal be discussed not discussed openly at all but everything is done in secret
1: so and, uh, no um, transparency you know,
4: yeah, and he still has the gall to maintain that, that his is the most uh, transparent administration ever. And trust me, I I am a far-left pro- you know, progressive. Uh, I'm far left of center. And I supported this man in 2008, and I couldn't in 2012. And I just, for the life of me, don't understand why everyone seems to be so bewildered and mystified by the fact that that he is not openly, you know, putting this before the American public, because I think he knows that if he did, they, you know, the American public would be so outraged over the details surrounding this this uh, trade deal and how it basically sells out the American people, and and I just I, I don't understand why. Leslie, I listen to you a lot, but why you mystified? Hillary would do exactly the same thing. She has yet to take any stand whatsoever on on the pipeline, and and I think basically, you know, it's it's just a question of of I think he's lost his moral compass, and it wasn't too soon after he got in office Uh, because if you recall, uh, when the health insurance uh, debate came up. Uh, We found out afterwards that the public option, let alone single payer, was not even on the table. Let's
1: stick with what what we're talking. I hear you regarding transparency, and I appreciate the call, Roger. We're going to let Scott answer that after the break because we're up against the clock, but he will respond to transparency and even uh, maybe to Hillary and where she stands on this if we know. We'll be back with our guest, Scott Paul. From the AAM right after this. Pick up the phone and join us in the meantime. One more segment with Scott after the break. 8886 Leslie. We're back. Pick up the phone and join us. 888-6-Leslie. 888 is the number. And uh, speaking of back, we are back with Scott and Paul, president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing, the AAM. Uh, Scott, thanks for holding welcome back. Well, responding to Roger's um, question or concern or even skepticism about the president's claim to be transparent, especially with this and that there's uh, not transparency and more secrecy with this. Um, wh- why don't we tackle that first?
2: Roger's correct. Roger's absolutely correct. It is uh, not easy, even for a member of Congress, to look at the negotiating text of the agreement uh, and then it's classified. They can't share it with anyone. They can't share it with their staff necessarily. And they're written, and Leslie, you know that you know. Anytime you read a contract, you're like, "Can someone interpret this for me?" Because it's written in lawyerese, and that's exactly how these things are done. And so the the whole process is really, even though they say they welcome public engagement, it's kind of confined to the outskirts, just like the protests are, uh, and, and the real work is done. Uh, inside, but behind closed doors, and it's largely informed by by the outsourcing community, uh, as I mentioned. And and so I look. I, I got the thread here that you know Roger uh, is very progressive. You know, I was. I, you know, I, I'm a supporter of the president. I, I like a lot of things that he does for for manufacturing, but but he is just wrong about this. And you know, we have to keep him honest to what he said in 2008 uh, and what he said in 2007 uh, and, and, and to, to indicate that he's going to have a fight on his hands uh, if, if he tries to do this. And I, I think it would be uh, not only bad for our economy, bad for the middle class, Leslie would be very bad for his legacy. Uh, to do this, uh, because I mean, I, I remember Joe Biden saying, you know, one of the legacies of the Obama presidency is going to be is going to be GM is alive and Osama bin Laden is dead, right? I mean, which is, which is very memorable. Uh, but but if GM is struggling, you know, that's only going to be half a legacy for the
1: president. Uh, m- m- most definitely, and and again, why don't you want to be known as somebody who creates jobs and change the numbers? I mean, the labor report has been good month after month, but. You know, why not say, see, look at the jobs being created in the, in, in the uh, private sector, right?
2: That, that's exactly right. I mean, we are. We could be doing better. In fact, one of the reasons why we aren't doing better is because we have such a persistently high trade deficit with China. And so, while we're we're creating some manufacturing jobs because the economy is getting better, uh, a, a lot of the stuff that people's buy that is buying is, is coming from China. In fact, an increasing amount. And unless we change our tact on trade. Uh, that's not going to change, but certainly having an agreement that's going to open the doors to even more outsourcing is going to send that in the wrong direction. And I know Roger mentioned Hillary Clinton as well, and it'll be interesting to see if she... And I was going to ask you if,
1: about uh, about that. She, is yeah. he correct on that? Has she remained silent on this issue?
2: Well, you know, when she was Secretary of State, she kind of had to to give the party line right uh but but again you know what she said as a candidate in 2007 uh about both the the uh, free trade agreement with korea uh was very skeptical uh, about the need to to get 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 tough but as secretary of state you know she she kind of uh, towed the obama line i i think there's reason to believe that she might want to seek some distance from this and we see some very astute Democrats uh, like Larry Summers, who I, I seldom agree with on, on things, just, just did an, uh, uh, an op-ed in the Washington Post today saying that, you know, on balance, he supported TPP, but there were a lot of problems with it, including currency that had to be dealt with. And so I thought that was really strikingly interesting uh, that that he's kind of the the, the, the mainstream economic thought of, like, the the elite Democrats. And I I don't agree with it necessarily, but even Summers thought that the the TPP needed some work, uh, and I agree with them.
1: Okay, well, thank you for being with us. God, that hour just flew by. They say, you know, how much fun you're having, right? Scott and Paul, President of the Alliance for, the American, for American Manufacturing, the AAM, thank you once again for joining us. Always a pleasure. And uh, we didn't even get to touch on everything with so many calls. Check them out, americanmanufacturing.org. Follow Scott on Twitter, at ScottPaulAAM. And be sure to follow also Keep It Made in USA, at Keep It Made in USA.